Thanks for listening to the New Life Church Searcy podcast. If you'd like to get connected to what God is doing at the Searcy campus, you can text the word Searcy to 88000. There you can give online, get connected to a life group, find your place in a serve team, and so much more. You can also find today's message notes in the YouVersion Bible app. Just tap the link in the episode description to follow along during the sermon and save notes directly to your phone. Now prepare your hearts to hear a great word from God today. Amen. So glad to be with you this morning. If you're glad to be in church, say amen. Amen. So thankful for all of you here today. You look great. I've been noticing some of y'all are breaking out the shorts. You just, you can't take it anymore. You got, you got to wear shorts to church. So um, it is 93 degrees today. I believe that's the coolest day um, until like November 14th. So um, we're glad to have a cool day to have uh, Jambalaya with. Listen, I've got um, something in my heart to talk to you about this morning, and um, I want to be able to uh, just kind of take my time. That's one of the incredible things about doing one service in, in, in the summer. Uh, the pace is so much different because um, we're not having to flip the service. And so um, I want to just kind of take my time and give you this word today. If... Um, you can, I want you to go to John chapter 4 with me. That's where I'm going to be today. So if you've got your Bible or your Bible app, <clears throat> I want you to go there. And if you don't have either, I'll show it to you. Okay, I'm also going to read it to you. So there's really no excuse for not, not getting the word this morning. But um, I really, on a, on a personal note, I, I'm, I'm a person who struggles to relax sometimes. Uh, I don't know if you're built the same way, uh, but relaxing for me can sometimes be difficult. It drives Robbie crazy. Um, so on a Saturday, I can um, sometimes be found uh, on on the couch. Like if it's a rainy Saturday, I can be found on the couch, and I might have my iPad or a remote control to watch a ball game or something. And that lasts for a little bit. And then I do something that I'm probably not alone in. Um, I think some of you probably do it. You may not admit to it, but I'm going to be candid um, and honest with you this morning. But I, I will get up from the couch, and um, it seems that I am um, a little a little unsettled. Um, a, a better word could be that I'm unsatisfied. So I'm tired of what I'm watching. Uh, I'm tired of what I'm doing. I'm tired of laying around. And so I will get up, and I will go to the fridge. Okay, I'm in the right church. That's a good start. I will open the fridge, and I will just look in there. And I will look, and I'll move a few things maybe, and I'll shut the door. And I'll go to the pantry, and I'll open it, and I will look in there, and I'll move some things, and I'll go back to the fridge and this is annoying. It's annoying to me. I know it's annoying to Robbie too, but I will open it up as if something new has appeared in there since my first trip five minutes ago. Now, if I'm observed doing this multiple times, the question becomes, hey, what are you looking for? Because it has the appearance that I can't find what I'm after. And I don't really know what I'm after. It's like I'm, I'm looking in there maybe for something to satisfy, and I'm going back and forth between, um, you know, the fridge and the pantry trying to 
maybe find a snack or something that I feel like could just burn a little time. And it's not that I'm really hungry, it's just that I'm unsettled. I'm not satisfied. And so I, I, I think with, with that kind of, of thought, I play this out in, in other areas. It's, it's like, so we've watched the news, and now I'm, I'm unsettled, and so I'm looking for something. Maybe I'm, I'm looking for some hope, you know, for some good news. Um, and that's what I'm looking for specifically. I'm, I'm just, I'm unsettled. Maybe you've tried every church here within 30 miles or 60 miles, whatever's comfortable for you, and you are unsettled. It's like you're just looking for connection. You just want somebody to connect with, talk with, etc. Maybe you're on social media a lot, and you're looking for some assurance. Somebody to like something. Somebody to tell you that you're pretty, or that they like your project something. You don't really know what you're looking for, but you know you're just scrolling, 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 or you're just jumping around. You're not really finding a place to really sit and grow and just be and exist and serve and all those things. Maybe the characters in your life story were cruel and wounding, and so you're merely just looking for somebody to accept you. You know, just to, just to be with. Not necessarily tell your life story to, but somebody who would just accept you and not be cruel to you. Maybe you're like me. You're looking in the, in the fridge somewhere and you don't know what you're looking for, but there's a void and it affects how well you relax on a rainy Saturday. Well, since we're all different, but we're all looking for something this could be a process of the human condition. And since many in this room have been looking for something for months, and maybe some of you have been looking for something for years, it could also mean this, that we're looking for all the right things, but in the wrong places. So we're looking for something to fill that void, to meet that unsettling, but we're looking in the fridge or the pantry or the church down the street or in an, another person or a stranger's online. We're, we're, we're just needing somebody to, to, to throw us a compliment, to tell us that we're okay. And I mean... Looking for hope or connection or assurance or acceptance, they're all good and right things. It's okay to search for those things. But looking for right things in the wrong places always leads to worse things. Like, if you look for the right thing in the wrong place, you can often find shame instead of connection. Because you're looking in the wrong place. Or maybe you are looking for acceptance, but you find disappointment or regret or depression. Isn't it true for all of us that you can find yourself more unsettled after you start looking for that something? 
you go on a, on a hunt looking for that, that thing to fill the void, and it just generates more dissatisfaction. And you end up just being disappointed in life in general. And so it goes from culture to politics to the church to your job to your marriage to your relationship with your kids. And you look at all of it and you're just like, there is nothing good happening in my life right now. Let's say it this way. The right desire plus the wrong place equals a more unsatisfied life. And so, to prove this point and just talk it out, I want to go to the book of John, or the gospel of John today. And um, John is, is one of those incredible people. This book ran into its final edit about 90 years after the, the resurrection of Jesus. So it's assumed that he wrote this as an older man. He's reflecting back on his life with Christ and in Christ. And so what he's going to say here is, listen, I'm writing this gospel. I know there are many, many stories of Jesus, but I'm going to write this one because I want you to understand that he is who he says he is. And so his gospel is to prove to us that he brought the heart and the spirit of the Father to earth so that we could see it, so that he could, he could touch us and talk to us and we could hear his voice, and we could, we could hear the sympathy. And so I want to go to John chapter 4. I'm going to read a lot here this morning, but so I'm going to just press on the gas, read through this with no, no breaks, and then we'll talk this out for just a few minutes. John chapter 4. If you're with me, say amen. All right, verse 4. Actually, let's start with verse 1. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. He's speaking about John the Baptist. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. And when the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Verse 4, now he had to go through Samaria. That's very important. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph, and Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, and tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. This translates to saying it was noon. And when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. This is the first time this is brought up. This is new, new language, new teaching. Verse 11, Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst. 
Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she said. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Duh. Okay, there's a big eye opener. Verse 25, skip down to there. The woman said, I know that Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. In verse 26, let's end here. Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. So beautiful story. Um, there, there's so much here to speak on that I got to be careful not not to get long winded. But I want to start with John four, and I want to read just verse four, and I want to go from there. It said, "Now he had to go through Samaria." So let's give some context here. When you first read this, it makes sense, but if you look at it with context, there's more here than what what meets the eye. He says, I have to go through Samaria. Okay, the fir- first thing's first. Jesus doesn't have to do anything, does he? So as the Son of God with all power in his hand, commissioned by the Father, he's doing whatever he wants. The days of ministry are what he wants them to be. He goes where he wants. He does what he wants. He defies the, uh, the church government. They're always on fire against him. They're already thinking about killing him. Um, they're so disappointed and angry at him. And so he, he's not really uh, showing us a pattern that he's got to do anything. But in this, he says that he had to go to Samaria. Second, and I want to show you that this map because I want to give you the context of it. He's in Judea, which is in the south. He's on his way to Galilee up north. And in the middle of that is Samaria. Now, there's, a, there's two red lines on this. The Jews and the, and the Samaritans did not get along at all. They hated each other. And so the typical route a Jew would take to get to, to Galilee is this eastern track. They would follow the Jordan River, and they would take it all the way from Judea. They would go all the way east, hit the Jordan, go north, and then cut over to Galilee. But what Jesus is going to do is take an unconventional and unpopular route as a Jew to get to Galilee, and he's going to go straight north through Samaria. And I I just want, want you to see this because this is what he's choosing. I have to go to Samaria. I'm not going to bypass. I'm not going to go around. I've got to go there. So that means that there's more to this word had when it says he had to go through Samaria. This word really means he had to go there, as in compelled to go, as in it was necessary. He's saying, I've got got to go there. It's necessary for me. I'm not going to bypass them. I'm not going to try to find a way around them. I'm not going to try to dodge this. 
I need to go to Samaria. I'm compelled to. And here's why. Because he knew there would be a woman at a well who was looking for something and he had to go there. It was necessary. Now, this demands a pause right here to talk about what's really going on because what we're seeing here is, is a church word called providence. It's the providence of God. And providence in this story is that God saw this woman a long time ago and he made plans to speak to her. And he made plans to be at just the right place at just the right time, and I personally believe that with all of my heart. But this equally means that I believe God saw you a long time ago, and He made plans to speak to you this morning about this topic from His Word because He also wants to meet with you. It's the providence of God. You could have done anything this morning, been anywhere, chose anything to do with your time, but you are here by providence of God. Regardless of any resistance or excuses you may produce, He made plans to be here so that your life could also experience His providence, even if meeting with you requires Him coming in an unconventional and even unpopular way, he's still here. So back to this story. Jesus walks 20 straight miles north. He's tired. It's noon. It's hot. And he asks her for a drink at Jacob's well. And she fights him on it. Typical woman. What is this? Mike is... need a new battery. She says, listen, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. You know we don't talk. Our backgrounds are not well. Also, I'm a woman. You're a man. You shouldn't even be talking to me. So let's just keep it at that. But he continues to talk, and he introduces this language of living water. And he speaks of never thirsting again. And again, she confronts him. And I, 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 I love this. I read many, many versions preparing this. And, and, and what one, one version says, listen, you don't even have a bucket. And this well is deep. What she's saying to him is, you're not going to come over to this well and dip your hand in there and get a drink. So you didn't even come prepared to, 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 to drink water on top of that. She goes at him. Do you think you're better than Jacob? Now, Jacob is the patriarch of both faiths, of the Jewish faith and the Samaritan faith. And so she says, do you think that you're better than Jacob? And she, say, she says this, Jacob drank here, his sons drank here, his grandsons drank here, his livestock drank here. And many generations have survived drinking here, including me. Her point is, who do you think you are showing up a Jew at Jacob's well wanting water? Just the two of them. Jesus stays in the fight. and He says, 
You know if you drink from here, you're going to get thirsty again. But if you drink what I have for you, you'll never be thirsty. The paraphrase or underlying statement here that I think exists is this. He's saying to her, you can silence the search within you. And maybe you're here this morning and you've got big trips to that fridge and pantry. And you're going back and forth and you don't find rainy Saturdays to be restful. But you're unsettled in many, many, many areas. And so you're going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And Jesus is here this morning to repeat this same thing. If you will drink from what I have for you, you can settle that unsettling that is in your life. And she still thinks that he's talking about water. So she says, I mean, if you have that, that would be awesome. I mean, I would love to have that. I would love to... To get a drink of that, I would love to not have to come to this well, she says that. I would love to stop these daily trips, and if you can give me something that I can drink and never thirst again, that would be incredible, sir. But do you know why she really wants a drink that won't leave her thirsty? Let's look at it. Because we know it's noon, it's the hottest part of the day, And she's there alone. And the reason she's alone is because she came at the hottest part of the day on purpose. She wants to be by herself. She doesn't want to come in the morning with the other ladies to get water. Why? Because she'll be the topic of discussion. She comes at noon so she can come alone so she doesn't have to talk about her past. So she doesn't have to be looked at. So she doesn't have to be analyzed. So she doesn't have to be diagnosed. So she comes alone. And I think she's saying, sir, I'm tired of who I am. I'm tired of the shame. I could really benefit from that type of water. Jesus takes a very hard turn here. Okay, It's set up beautifully. And he goes, why don't you go home and get your husband... And bring him back. And we'll continue talking about water. And she says, what happened was... (laughs) She's like, you don't don't want to get into this. And listen, why did he do this, right? It's set up beautifully. Why did he do it? I mean, I thought Jesus just wore Birkenstocks and fed folks. No. There are two reasons why this was a very loving confrontation for him to do. And if you're a note taker, I'm going to give those two things to you right now, quickly. The first one is this. You cannot experientially know or appreciate the grace of God until you realize how much you need it. I want that to sit for just a second. You cannot experientially know or appreciate the grace of God until you first realize that you are broken and you have something in your life that is messed up and something that's been patched and something you've thrown duct tape on and tried to just carry on. It's at that moment truly that you become a worshiper because you know, I need this. I need the grace of God. 
in my life. Second, you cannot be fully loved until you are fully known. And I love this because what Jesus was saying, the whole reason he brought this up, it was a setup for him to go, I know you. So let's get past the superficial junk and the coffee house conversation where I ask you how you are and you say good and then you ask me how I am and how my kids are and I say good and then we just sip a latte and, and, and go about our daily thing. He says, no, I know you. And I know your kids. And I know your husbands. And I know the man you're with now. And I know that both of you feel there's less risk in shacking up than in getting married. I know you. And I want you to know that. This is, this is providence right here. I've come by for this moment to talk to you. Because I saw you. And I saw your heart. And I saw how broken you were. And I went out of my way for this moment to catch you alone at Jacob's well. And you're not here to impress me. Because I knew your story yesterday and the day before that and the day before that. Because I know you. This is so important because Jesus is breaking through a soundtrack that she's played in her mind over and over and over again, which would say, if you really knew me, it would be impossible for you to love me. It's impossible for you to know my past and still have hope in my future. Let me pause here because th th this is strong and you, you can debate this in, in your own mind. I'm not asking for an applause here. If someone loves part of you, but not all of you, they don't really love you. They, they can value a part of you. They can appreciate a part of you. But when it comes to the expression of the true word love, it's conclusive. So we can't say, I love you, but this part over here, man, I hate that. So Jesus is trying to prove to her that all the parts, every page of the story, every step of the journey, that he still loves her, that he's still with her, that it's conclusive. That he's not weeding out. You know, I really love this part, but if you would just change that, and if you would change that, then you can come and talk to me, and then we'll work it out. If you'll go to counseling first, if you'll, if you'll fix this part of yourself, if you'll read this book, if you'll do this or that, then, then come back, and then we'll talk about this living water thing. No. He said, I know you. I know your husbands. I know how messed up it is. I know the guy you're with. I know all the risk. I know you're scared. I know you don't want to tell me your story. I know you haven't looked me in the eyes in the past 20 minutes because of your shame, and I am still here, sitting with you at Jacob's well. Jesus knows. Here, here, here's, here's the good part. Jesus knows that this woman has been going to wells her whole life. She's been going to wells her whole life, drinking and thirsting again, drinking and thirsting again, drinking and thirsting again. 
She had been going to the wells of relationships her whole adult life. She was married once and that well ran dry. She was married twice and that well couldn't quench. She was married three times and that well caved in. She was married four times and that well had bitter water. She was married five times and that well disappeared overnight. Here's a painful insight. The problem is often not found in someone else. Oftentimes it's that you are bringing you to every well. The common denominator in all those relationships wells was that she was there. So here's, here's a big question, and it applies to all of us. What well are you running to? Like when you're under pressure, where are, are you running? When you're thirsty, where do you go? When you get unsettled in your spirit, what well are you running to to get a drink from? This is why sometimes people run back to a well in their past or they try to go back to a relationship that was toxic because it, they, they at least know it, it will bring some form of temporary relief. It, there's a well in the ground somewhere in my life. I can run back to it and when you're fine as long as there's not pressure. But when life comes down, you run back to something that's common. You run back to something that is known to you. You run back to an experience that, 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 that at some point in your life had some good to it, even though it may have ended terribly. It, it poses this huge question of what well have, have we continually been going to over and over and over again. And this is why Jesus has to show up in this scenario and in churches all over the world and still ask the question, do you want living water? Like, do you want to drink from something that you'll never thirst from again? We think this is a cutesy Bible story, but it's so much deeper than that. Because, and I'm not trying to be hard, but I want to be real at the same time, because maybe for you, it, your well is not a relational well. So maybe it's not a fifth marriage, but maybe it's a fifth job this year. Maybe it's a fifth donut. Maybe it's a fifth maxed out credit card. And you just run into a well, to a well, to a well, and you drink, but you thirst again. So you drink, and you thirst again, and you drink, and you thirst again. But nothing that you and I can create or participate in or purchase or marry into can truly satisfy the soul. This right here will quench your thirst temporarily. And everyone knows it. Okay? Everyone knows it. If you were out mowing the yard yesterday, you probably guzzled some of these. Because you were thirsty. And for a moment, it quenched your thirst. But chances are, before you got in bed last night, you got another drink. Because you were thirsty again. This is why they sell these in a six-pack or 12-pack or 24. It would be a terrible business model to only make one bottle available to you. Like, this is all that you get. So, ration it. This bottle rep represents a career or a bank account or the endorphins from social media or a purchase. It's the pill you take, and you will get thirsty again. We live for the substance when we should be living for the source. 
When I was a kid, we used to play this dumb game. This is back when we were all skinny and could run around shirtless all summer long. And we would play this game. This, this is when life was a little, little bit different. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm not that old. It just shows how fast the world has changed. <laughs> I always count on Tiffany to come on with me. Yeah, we, you, you could run up to anybody's house and use a faucet. And so if we were riding bikes anywhere, we'd just walk up to somebody's house. They had a garden hose, and we would play this game that you turn the hose on, stick the whole hose in your mouth, and drink as fast as you can, and we would time each other. Say, wow, man, you drink, you know, for like 12 seconds. Man, our bellies would just, I mean, just swell up. Sometimes you'd vomit, but it was easy because it was just water. It wasn't like, you know, chili hot dogs or anything. And we just drink and drink and drink and drink and drink until we were just miserable and we'd laugh at each other. It's one of those funny, stupid things. If you're really young, this is before anybody had any technology whatsoever. We had to come up with dumb games. And I think when we read this story in John 4, we get this kind of image, like, uh, like, like a waterfall in our lives, and all we got to do is walk up to it and just like me as a boy and us playing that game and drinking that water as fast as we can, we just get under this waterfall that God is providing and we just drink and we drink and we drink and we think that this is what the Lord is wanting to give us, an endless supply that we stand next to and drink. But that's not at all what the Lord wants to give you. What He wants to give you is far better. And he says in verse 14, watch this. The water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up. This means what he's wanting to give you, you can have it anywhere. You can go on the mission field anywhere. You can be in any circumstance anywhere. And you can have a spring of water. You can go to the, to the deadest, driest environments, whether that's relationally, emotionally, career-wise. You can be at, the, at just the worst job you've ever had, but inside of you is a well springing up. You're not having to run to the source. You're not having to go, God, where's that waterfall? Where's that garden hose? No, inside of you is an ongoing welling up of the Spirit and the presence and the living water of God, it means this that you can be life giving wherever you are in the world. That you can use your words and your gifts and your talents and your abilities and your story, all of it, every page, to minister to somebody else and share with them the love of God. Why? Because you're not drinking and thirsting again and drinking and thirsting again. It's that he's instilling something in every one of us that is a spring of water welling up in us. It is going to be in you, not next to you, in you. I'm out of time, so let, let me put the landing gear down quick here. But How do I get this spring in me? Well, let me give you two quick thoughts. The first one is this. Spend time with him. Spend time with him. Sit with him. Know him. Talk to him. Be with him. That sounds very Christianese. I, I, I get it. It's the language we use in church. 
but there is nothing that substitutes your time with God. And if you're dry this morning, I would, I would bet a lot it's because you haven't been with Him in a while. And that your relationship is now operating from here instead of from a spring that's inside of you. It's a dangerous thing when Christians make a big shift of, of operating from, I know how to do church. I know how to do things. I know, I know, I know. Rather than things like I feel and I sense. These things come from being full. So spend time with Him. Sit with Him. Know Him. Talk to Him and be with Him. The second thing is live on mission. Live on, on mission. Many of you in this room, including myself, we have had great well experiences. Like God came and found you in the lowest point. He called you out. He knew your story. He broke through a barrier. He came through an unacceptable way into your life, an unpopular way. And, and He crossed, He built bridges and, 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 and He crossed deserts to get to you and and he found you and he blessed you and he spoke into you and you made a monument there and you've stayed at the well you've had these great well experiences and you say well this is where i've i've, I've got to stay watch this in verse 28 it says then leaving her water jar she forgot all about jacob's well the woman went back to town and said to the people come see a man who told me everything i ever did she became missional. The one who had once been filled with shame is now filled with water and a mission. That's what we have to do. If we're not going to be a church that gives away and does and blesses and goes out into this crazy world and demonstrates and shows people the love of Christ, then what are we doing? This can quickly just become a Jacob's well where we have a good experience or we get, we get blessed on, a, on our own. But, but sometimes you got to leave a bucket. you got to put something down and go out and tell a story. Your story. Thought God changed your life. Live on mission. And be with Him. That's how we have a wellspring of life in us. You don't have to search for anything else. It's in you.